Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to, you know it's fake, right? The ongoing battle with the dirtiest four-letter word in professional wrestling. I am your host. My name is Brian Breaker. Uh, joining me this week on the show will be Nick Cutler here for episode 79. Um, we're going to dive into it, obviously, with the interview. Nick is um, a really fun guy to podcast with. I know this, I say that a lot, but he really is because I feel like me and him have had a very different journey in professional wrestling, but also very similar to and he tells a lot of really you know kind of heartbreaking stories in, in a way of like what sometimes you know you hear a lot about sacrifice and things like that that you do for for this industry but he kind of breaks down the real life aspect of it the stuff that maybe people don't fully understand it's it's one thing to say like I sacrificed a lot for this business but until you know like specifically what that means sometimes it's hard to really process and we uh we dive into a lot of that. It's a pretty pretty lengthy episode this week, but there's so much there on the table. It's like I didn't want to stop it because it was going so well. And here's the weird thing. I've only met Nick Cutler one time. One time I met this guy. He came to one of Harley's camps, and I want to say it was like 2014 maybe. And uh, we hit it off, and it may have been 2013 as a matter of fact. I, I don't. It's one of those two. And uh, we, we were buddies, and you know we got to wrestle a little bit, but I didn't really know the guy, but... It's one of those things, and we do touch on this in the show, sometimes you just connect with people in a very specific way, and that I felt like I had that with Nick. I knew he was a guy that like wanted to impress, he was trying to get somewhere, and I think there's something about when you have that like-minded mentality that we all attach ourselves to. So like I said, it's a pretty long episode this week, so I'm not going to waste any more time on this intro. Let's kick it over to my conversation with the one and only Nick Cutler. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Joining me on the line this week uh, is Nick Cutler. Nick, man, how you been? It's been, geez, four years since we recorded last time. Too long. I have been fantastic, and I am appalled, like, in shock that it has actually been four years because it doesn't seem like that long. No, and so to give everyone an understanding, me and you kind of first met at Harley's camp back, I want to say, what, 2013, 2014, something like that? 2013, yep. It was a long time ago, and, you know, we've been, like, Facebook friends and stuff like that ever since then. And, you know, now to put that in perspective, it's 2022, nearly a decade ago. And But, you know what, that's cool about the Internet. Now we're able to reconnect and, and do this podcast. And, you know, I've, I've always enjoyed, you know, with, with Harley's camps, I've met so many people over the years. Some good, some bad. You fall in that good category. <laughs> but, but there's so many people I've met, and I think it's really cool that we're able to sit down and, and do something like a podcast like this. Well, it's funny. Like, my wife was like, haven't you only met this guy once? And I was like, you don't understand. Like, with pro wrestling, there are – and don't get me wrong. There, whatever you want to be in pro wrestling is fine. Like, if, 
if you're fine with being like, you know, your local independent guy and you never travel outside of the state, cool. Independent wrestling needs regional guys. Sure. If you want to be an independent superstar, cool. Like, travel the, the independents and do whatever you want to do. If you want to go to WWE, cool. Try to do that. But if you, whatever you decide that you want to do, you should take that very seriously and do it to the best of your ability. And I think that that is one of the things that always bothered me about pro wrestling is I would look around and I'd be like, these guys do not look at this the same way that I do. Mm -hmm. And when you find somebody that does, it's like you latch onto them. And I feel like that's what happened with you and I. I know what happened with me and Ace when I was down there, because that was when I met Ace for the first time. Mm -hmm. You can immediately tell when someone is like, all right, this guy is of the same fucking mold that I am. And it just, like, immediately allows you to bond and be close. And that's how I always felt with you. Same thing with Ace. Like, it, it's it, it's, a, it's like a wrestling thing. There's guys that I've never met before, but just through conversations with them on the Internet, I say that they're good buddies because I know damn well that they're of the same mold that I am. Well, I think it's that iron sharpens iron, right? And bad company corrupts good character. I know for me, I never wanted to be or associate myself myself with people that I knew like like you kind of described it like, you know, the the local guy or the, and like you said there's nothing wrong with that and I've learned in my time in the business if that's what somebody wants to be, if they want to be the local hero that wrestles, you know, at the same place every Saturday night, there is nothing wrong with that. But that's not who I am. That's not who I wanted to be. And and so I think if you want to be go beyond that, if you want to get to the highest point you can, whatever your goal may be, because everyone's goal is different, then you need to associate people that are going to help you get there. And and that's again kind of what you were saying. You do you need to find those people that are like minded, that have your ideas, your best interests. I mean, I know I needed to be around people that were honest with me because, you know, like like you said, you're talking about being around good people. Like if I didn't get, give me times I was I was around people that weren't good, and so I'd ask for feedback. Oh, it was great. It was great. I'm like. You know, like everyone likes to hear that to a degree, but that doesn't help you get better. You need honest yeah, criticism. When, like I would have people tell me that the match was good, and in my own mind, like even liking being like, even though I liked having my horn tooted mentally, I'm like, no, the fuck, it wasn't exactly. Yes, and you're like, no. I mean, I've done that before too. Like, great match. I'm like, no, it wasn't. It was a shits. And they're like, oh, well, I mean, I liked it. And I'm like, oh, sorry, pal, it doesn't matter. Like, it wasn't good like, to my expectation. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> it's but it's so interesting. I think I think that's what makes this business so unique is like it's all consuming too, right? Like when you're in wrestling and when you're in the thick of it as you know and you have to be kind of all in and when you find those guys that aren't you're just like, man, we are not the same person. And I and it always kind of bothered me too when I would see people who we're kind of like, yeah, I want to be a wrestler. I really want to go places, but they're doing nothing to get there. Mm-hmm. But they think they're trying as hard as I am. I'm like, you're not putting in the same effort. You're not doing what I'm doing. So don't consider yourself my equal. Yeah, it would always. And I mean, sometimes I feel like it might have been to my detriment because sure. I would allow that kind of stuff to just drive me insane. Like, yeah. one of, you know, me, one of my biggest things is looking the part. Like, look like a fucking pro wrestler. And that doesn't mean look like a bodybuilder. Arn Anderson didn't look like a fucking bodybuilder. But he you looked know? like he could handle himself. 
Exactly. And I would see, I'm not, I won't name any names, but I would see guys in like the Chicago area and stuff like that. And they, they look like prepubescent teens that had never been in a real fight in their life. And they like, they're like, oh yeah, we're, we're driving, we're all piling in the car this weekend and we're driving 15 hours to evolve in Boston. And we got a match and I'm like, or, or, hear me out, how about you take all the money that you guys are going to end up spending on gas because, you know, damn well Gabe's not going to pay you, and you all invest in a gym membership, <laughs> and you guys start going to the gym and eating right and making yourselves look like a star, and then instead of four guys piling in the car and driving 15 hours to wrestle for free or for 20 bucks max because we both know Gabe, um... 20 bucks max, given who you are, he'll fly, fly you out there or at least pay you trans to drive out there and wrestle for him. That was always my mindset. Sure. Like, I never wanted to be that guy that would just eat shit and show up because... Those guys I, are a dime a dozen, right? Exactly. Like, it's 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 it, it's it goes back to the whole thing with Japan. Like, how often do American guys get flown to Japan anymore? Exactly. Next, never. Because guys started being marks and flying themselves over there for free. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because a good friend of mine was talking to me about that. And he was like, you know, I'm. he went over a couple of times and he's like, I want to go again. But it's really hard for me to think that they're going to do it when all these guys do it for them. Like, why would they fly me if 15 other guys fly themselves? And I'm like... Yeah, I know. Like, and I don't have an answer for that, man. Like, that's, but that's kind of the the point we're in. People will do things because it's. I oftentimes think people live a certain way through social media nowadays, and you know, our generation we didn't grow up on this. It's came later in life, but it's easy to be like, "Hey, look at me! Like, I'm in Australia." It's like, "Well, yeah, but you flew yourself." That doesn't really count, in my opinion. Um, or like a big thing, a trend I see people put the flag emojis on their profile. But it's like if you didn't get work through those places, if you didn't get a work visa from them, you flew yourself. It's not – to me, it's not the same. And, and I know everybody has their own opinions and on that stuff, and I, I understand the business is evolving. It's changing, but it's just it, – it doesn't seem right to me. I'm, I'm the exact same way. It's like it's – I would have fans that like – and that's the thing that amazes me, and that's why – when I look back at my career and what I have done, that's not to say that I'm thinking of quitting anytime soon. My goals have definitely changed. Sure. But when I look back at what I've already done, I'm so fucking proud of myself because I have fans in states that I've never worked in. I have fans in countries that I've never been to because with the advent of YouTube and social media and all that, they're able to access my body of work and be like, hey, I really like this guy. And it sucks because I'll have people in the UK and, you know, people in fucking Germany. And they're like, hey, like, when are you going to come over here? And I'm just like, honestly, man, probably never because no one's going to pay for me to fly over there and I'm not going to be that guy that pays for myself. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, stick with YouTube, I guess. And, I mean, obviously never say never, but the guys that you know, live with their parents for the rest of their lives because then they can work a job and just take all their money and just 
flush it into the wrestling business to make themselves look like a success on social media, when in reality, if you're looking at the big picture and what most, not everybody, but what most people would look at as a success, if you're 25, 26, 27 years old, and by choice, you're still living at home, so you can blow all of your money on fake fighting with men, most people are not going to look at you as a success. But but they're able to take that. They're able to take that through the advent of social media, through the advent of Facebook, through the advent of Instagram. And they hide what they don't want people to see. Mm -hmm. And they just highlight what they do want people to see. And they're like, what are you talking about? This guy wrestled in... Dublin last week, and he was in Munich the week before that, and then before that he was wrestling in front of, you know, however many people here in the United States. He's all over the place, and I'm like, yeah, but he probably got $20 at each place because he offered to get himself there, and he still lives at home, and he looks like shit because instead of investing in a gym membership and good food for your body... He blows all of his money to try to travel everywhere to make himself look like he's a big deal. And one of my big, one of my favorite things that uh, Danny Cage from the Monster Factory had said was, "If you're a shitty mechanic in New Jersey and you drive to Maryland and start doing uh, mechanic work in Maryland." That doesn't automatically make you better. It just means that you're a shitty mechanic in two different states now. <laughs> it's true, so, though, yeah. So, like, if you're a pro wrestler and you're rest, you're, you live in Indiana, so obviously you're wrestling in Indiana, you're probably going to Illinois, Michigan, Ohio, those surrounding states, but then they'll be like, yeah, I booked in Florida this weekend. And all these, oh, man, this guy's going to Florida. And I'm like, that just means he's a shitty wrestler in Florida now, too. <laughs> just because he's wrestling in Florida doesn't mean he's any better in Indiana. Like it, it's it's very weird to me, and I feel like I got involved in pro wrestling at the tail end of the era that I should have been in. Mm-hmm. So, which is fine. Like everything worked out great, but it's it just makes me laugh looking at it now, and being in a position in my life where I'm happy enough where I can laugh at it and not let it bother me anymore. Right. So, it's a different world, and you know, you were talking about the gym membership. I got to bring this up because I've I've had this conversation with I don't know how many people. They show up, and it's kind of all the same. I always say there's the guys that are serious, and there's the dreamers. You know, where they've they want to be a pro wrestler. They're a big fan, but they've never really done anything to prepare themselves for pro wrestling. Which, to be fair, maybe they didn't know because wrestling is still kind of a protected industry. Mm-hmm. But I, I I feel as though I'm like okay. Have you ever watched wrestling in your life? Have you have you noticed the guys are sweaty and they're breathing hard? And this is like tippity top guys on the on the on the card in the main event of WrestleMania. They're sweaty and they're breathing hard. That means there's a lot of cardiovascular involved. And so if you show up out of shape, like I don't understand how you could possibly understand that you would be successful at this. And it happens all the time. And I'd always ask them like, so you got a gym membership? No, um, I, I, just, I just can't afford it. I'm like, oh, do you have a floor? And they were like, what do you mean? I'm like, at your house, do you have a floor? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, oh, so you can do push-ups then? Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, but you don't. And why? 
Well, uh, I don't know. And it's it, that, that was always kind of been my answer. It's like there's a lot of like, especially with YouTube, there's so many like at-home workouts you can do if you if you are trying to do it and looking into it. And so, yeah, you can't afford a gym membership. That's kind of on you, and that's going to be a problem moving forward. But you can do things at home to better yourself if you have nothing else. Well, and I, I hate to even hear people say that they can't afford a gym membership when – God forbid you have to go to Planet Fitness, but they're it's ten dollars. It's ten dollars a month. Like you don't have ten dollars a month, and I run into the same thing with people when I work with online clients. I'll say, you know, how many days a week can you commit to going to the gym to lift with weights? Right. Because you're going to be doing cardio every day, no matter what. Whether that is you walking around your block for 40 minutes or whether that's you going to the gym and walking on the treadmill or whether that's you having a piece of cardio equipment at your house or DDP yoga, whatever the case may be, you only have to lift weights three to five days a week, but I want you to do cardio every day. And so when people would say, oh, well, I just, I didn't have time to do cardio. How did you not have time? You, it literally requires you to go nowhere. Like, if, 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 if I'm telling you that you need to do 25 minutes of cardio a day, and cardio can literally be walking, walking for 25 minutes, it's as easy as waking up 25 minutes earlier and walking around the block. Right. And that's, that's usually the excuse, right? Like, well, I, I don't have time to go to the gym because I work late. I'm like, okay, well, what about in the morning? Well, then it's like, well, I don't want to get up early. It's like, well, that's the commitment you have to make. I know there was a guy out here that was training people, and – a lot of them were saying like, well, I can't train because I have this, I have that. And he goes, okay, well, how about I do a 6 a.m. class? Can you make that? And all of their faces you could just see. Like obviously they, they could make that, but that would require being there at 6 a.m. And no one wants to do that. But then again, you have to ask yourself, how bad do you want this? And then in my mind, I'm just thinking of me when I was working two different part-time jobs and managing a home life. And still going to the gym every day and still driving to Chicago twice a week in rush hour traffic to train when I was still training with Windy City under Steve Boz. And it's like, you mean to tell me? I remember one time I was in a match with with somebody and admittedly, like self-admitted, he had not, he he had never completed a wrestling school. The extent of his training was, he would like go to shows, and he had gone to a show at one point in time as a fan. <clears throat> he was a good-looking kid, um, nice body, uh, good looks, whatever. And so, promoters like, hey man, like, did anyone ever, you know, you ever thought about being a wrestler? Oh yeah, sure, no problem. You know, so. He starts showing up to this promotion and rolling around in the ring, but they start, like, using him right away. Sure. They gave him a gimmick, and, you know, the gimmick was over. I'm not going to deny any of that, but at the end of the day, you can have a gimmick, you can have a nice body, you can talk on the mic, but when the bell rings, you need to be able to go with some semblance of talent. Yeah. And... I had to work him one time, and I, by this point, then when I had to work him, I um, I had gotten to be pretty good friends with him. I had hung out with him outside of the wrestling business. I had never had to work with him myself, which is probably what allowed us to get so close as friends, because if I would have had to have worked with him, I probably wouldn't have been able to be friends with him, because I wouldn't have been able to respect him enough. 
Right. But we eventually finally got paired up on a show, and I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew that he was not good. And so I laid out the most basic, rudimentary match for us to do. And I, and I always end it with, if you forget anything, if you don't remember anything, just talk to me. Mm-hmm. Because not only am I very good with calling it on the fly, but I also have an eidetic memory. So once a match is in my head, I don't forget it. And so immediately, almost in the match, I can tell he's lost. I can tell he doesn't know what he's doing. So I grab a hold, and I, I call the spot to him. Hey, you good? You know, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Fucks it up. Get him back down. Hey, you know, this is what we're doing. Why did you do this? Do this. Do this. Okay, good. Fucks it all up. Fucks it. Just, just completely. It, it was one of those times, where, like, you can literally, if it's probably on my old Facebook I had before I went to the Performance Center, but if you go back and you look at pictures of me in that match, you can clearly see that I am very visibly frustrated. Sure. And, and yeah, that's the thing is we've all been there. You know? I remember one other time being in this situation, and it was when I was working for HWA, and I'm, I don't know if you know who Joe Copez is. Hmm. He's, he, do you? I don't know. Okay, he's, he's, he's one of the old-time guys from HWA back when they were still a developmental territory. Mm-hmm. So, really well-respected guy in the Ohio Valley region. Awesome dude. And <laughs> similar situation where this dude that I was working with would just not fucking listen to me and wouldn't settle down, and I just did not know what to do, and I was getting so hot. And at one point, I think I might have done, like, a thumb in the eye or something like that. And Copez calls for a DQ. And I looked at Copez. I was like, what the fuck did you do that for? And he's like, because I can tell you're getting upset, and I don't trust you not to waylay this boy. (laughs) (laughs) But I remember getting to the back after the match with the guy who I had been friends with, and I was like, dude, what the hell? Like, I... You forget shit, that's fine. But you don't need talent to listen to what I tell you to do. And you were just you just weren't listening. And I'm telling you to do very, very basic things and you're not doing them. Like what is the problem here? Like you do not need to have another match. You do not need to take another booking until you get properly trained. Mm-hmm. And his response, I remember it to this day, was, well, between work and school and my girlfriend, I don't really have time. And I cocked my head and I looked at him and I I had a response, but all that I could muster to say was, then get the fuck out of my business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, you don't want it. it's such a... I've heard like I've heard that story, right? I've been your in your shoes in that story. Like it's so it's so apparent with a certain generation where it's like I would hear people like, Well, I don't have time to train. I'm like, but you have time to come to every show? You got time to come to every show, you got time to play Madden, you got time to play fantasy football league. Everybody has time. It falls on what you want to do with that time. And and don't get me wrong. Some people's priorities, okay, but you know what? Even with me not wanting to really have wrestling be a full-time thing in my life anymore, when I do wrestle, I still do it to the very best of my ability, and I'm still in shape, 
and I still look like a star. And if I ever did get some sort of call, I would feel confident enough in myself to know that I could answer whatever it is that's being asked of me. And I just feel like it's a lost art form to have yourself be completely prepared for the role that you are undertaking as a professional wrestler. Mind, body, and soul. Like, you you need to be mentally prepared for what the business entails. You need to be physically prepared for what the business requires from you. And you need to have a passion for this. Because unless you are one of these guys that got rejected from the NFL and are getting picked up immediately by WWE, you sure as shit aren't doing it for the money right off the bat. So, I mean, just think of that conversation that Lex Luger had with Jim Cornette when Cornette said, hey, what, you know, what would you have done if you would have had to have done the territories only making 75 bucks a night and this and this and that and that? And Luger said, I wouldn't have been a wrestler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and honestly, like, when you don't have that lifelong passion, I think sometimes people look at the circumstances of what we go through and think, like, well, why do you do that then? Like, What's the reason? And I think you're talking about passion. I think that's the big thing. And I think sometimes the wrestling business takes advantage of our passion, right? Because we are the guys that are willing to jump into a car and and willing to do all this stuff for sometimes next to no money to you know try to make a name. Because we've all done it. We've all done bookings we shouldn't have done. Or or, you know, I I remember someone told me early on, like, well, you want to take every booking you can because you never know where an opportunity might be. And I'm like, well, that's true, but. You also kind of know pretty well, like this one won't be, you know, at certain bookings, right? Like, there, aren't, you know, like, there, there aren't going to be, there isn't going to be a WWE scout amongst the thirteen people at the Moose Lodge on a, a Sunday in Valparaiso, Indiana. Exactly. But, exactly. And I, I completely understand that, and that's one of the things when I, when I underwent mindset coaching. It was with a guy who had previously been in the wrestling business, Jared Gannum. And he had pretty much gotten to the point. He, so he's a Tony Robbins certified coach at this point. Does his own mindset, but he specializes in working with pro wrestlers and pretty much helping them find ways to either exist in the wrestling business in their current role without it eating them alive or helping them come to terms with the fact that they need to get out of the pro wrestling business. Mm. And... One of the things that he talks about is people taking advantage of, you know, a pro wrestler's passion. Like, yeah, you can be passionate about things, but you need to be passionate about yourself, too. One of, one of the things that I would always say is I'm okay to sacrifice, but I won't sell my soul. Yeah. If I feel I have a line, and once I feel like that line has been crossed, that is when I kind of back out. I don't know if I told you the story on our last call, but um, at one point I was in my mind. I wanted to go to Ring of Honor. Yeah. At this particular point in my career, in my mind, I want to do Ring of Honor. I want to do Ring of Honor. And so, I had done a camp with uh, Mike Elgin, and the the big thing was like, oh, there, because you know they had always had those um those camps at the actual Ring of Honor school in Philly. But they didn't, those were two days and they were 300 bucks. Mm-hmm. And then Elgin ran one at his school in Southern Illinois. So I'm like, okay, it's closer. 
it's three days, and it's the same price. So I'm getting an extra day out of it. I don't have to travel as far. And at the, this is when Elgin was working with Ring of Honor. So he had Delirious coming there. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, cool. So this is pretty much like taking a, 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 one of their camps in Philly. So I do this camp, and afterwards I exchanged a couple of emails with uh, Delirious, and I'm like, hey, you know, I see you guys got shows in Milwaukee and in Chicago um, coming up. Is it okay if I come? And he's like, yeah, no problem. Just come to the show. So I'm like, cool. So I, I, I do the good rookie thing. Even though I wasn't a rookie at the time, I do the good rookie thing, and I get to the building at, like, noon, and I help set up the ring. I help set up the guardrails. I help set up the entrance ramp. I help do all that shit. So I'm there for, like, six hours at this point in Milwaukee. Right. And a couple of other guys have gotten there, too. And at about 10 after 6, show starts at 7. At about 10 after 6, Michael Elgin rolls in with a carload of his students. And all five of his students, plus one of the guys that had showed up at the building that day, were the ones that were used in the dark match. Mm. And I'm like, that is such a fucking blatant case of nepotism, number one. Number two... I remember thinking to myself, like, that, those motherfuckers weren't here for six, five. I mean, yeah, they were in a car, but they weren't here doing all this work. And then dipped out after Elgin was done with his match. Didn't stay and help tear down like the rest of us did or anything. So I remember that left a sour taste in my mouth. The next night, we're in Chicago, and same thing. Help set up this, this, that, that, blah, blah, blah. And... You know, I'm, at this point, the goal is to get a dark, you know, to sure. get a dark match, impress, whatever. And they're like, oh, the, the dark match is Romantic Touch and Stokely Hathaway. And I'm like, two guys that are already under contract? Your dark match is two guys that are already under contract when you've got 15 guys here that you sold these camps to? saying that this was the way that you earned your way into Ring of Honor and you're not going to use two guys from your fucking camps? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So, again, rubs me the wrong way. But at, 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 believe it or not, that still wasn't enough. So I convinced myself in my head, you know what? The reason why they didn't use me was because I didn't do one of their camps in Philly. Mm -hmm. Because in Philly, then you're seen by Steve Carino and you're seen by Kevin Kelly right. and you're seen by the other people that make these decisions. It's so, like you're continually eating the shit sandwich, right? Yes, yes. And so I end up doing the camp in Philly, too. And, again, arranged to go to Milwaukee. And this was my breaking point. So I get to Milwaukee. Again, it's like noon. I help set up the ring with the people that were there. And about 5 o'clock, um, I remember it was me, Cheeseburger, one other guy, and Ken Phoenix, who was one of the students at the Ring of Honor School. And so we all go our separate ways. We leave the building because we want to go get some food and Cheeseburger and the other guy are both kind of fatties, you know. I mean, Cheeseburger's not fat, but, you know, he can eat whatever he wants, and he's like a rail. Mm -hmm. 
So him and this kid are like, oh, we want to go to McDonald's. And me and Ken Phoenix are like, we need to find a place that's got a fucking grilled chicken sandwich (laughs) or grilled chicken salad. So we find this bar and grill that was serving grilled chicken salads, and we ordered our food, and we're sitting at the bar waiting. And I brought up the fact, you know, because I was like, so how's this loop? And Ken's like, man, it it was rough. We, uh, We left Philly on Wednesday night, drove overnight, to Milwaukee, got to Milwaukee Thursday night, and then they were up by whenever to get to the building to set everything up. And he's like, and then immediately after the show tonight, we're driving through the night till we get to Minnesota. We're rest, we're doing the show in Minnesota, and then we're immediately leaving and driving from Minnesota back to Philly. Mm. And I'm like, man, that's a rough fucking stretch. Like, your shoot job is okay with letting you have all that time off? And he's like, oh, I don't have a shoot job right now. I probably should get one, though. Like, I really, really should. And I'm like, fuck, man. Like, you're doing these long-ass loops and shit, and you're not even, you don't even have any money coming in? And he goes, oh, I get a paycheck. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? He's like, yeah, anybody that comes with for ring crew um, gets paid for the weekend. And I'm like... You're getting paid to set up the fucking ring? And now you're just doing it for free, right? And I'm showing up to do it for fucking free because I thought it was the right thing to do when you cocksuckers are all getting paid? And then we get back to the building, and again, it's another one of those things where, like, hey, the dark match tonight is Cheeseburger and, again, another guy that was already under contract, Cheeseburger and Will Ferrara. And I'm like... Okay, so your dark match is two guys that are already under contract, so, again, they're getting paid. Literally, the ring crew and everybody that is here, other than me and probably a select other couple guys that had come that day, are all getting paid. And I showed up here to do all this for free in the hopes that I would get a match, and I didn't. And I remember they asked me to help do the camera work right yeah so i'm like yeah sure whatever i'll do the camera i mean Um, you're already there right i mean i think that's why since since i'm already there right but i have to move my car right Mm. so i'm like i'll be right back guys i gotta go move my car because um no i had i i didn't have to move my car i got to the building and i parked right there because it was at the turner ballroom i got there and i paid the day rate but the the rate changed since there was an event there that night. Mm. So you had to have the new ticket in your dash. So I went out to pay to put my new ticket on my dash so I didn't have to move my car, and my credit card was maxed out. Mm. So I'm like, well, shit. So I had another credit card in my wallet because I left my debit card at home with my wife. The other credit card was Discover, and this place didn't take Discover. So I'm like, well, fuck, okay, I guess i got to move my car. So I drive up the block a ways. I find a parking garage. I go to try to get in there. They don't take Discover. So I do a UE. I drive a little bit further up the block. I find another parking garage. They don't take Discover. I literally still had not given up. I drove almost four blocks away from the building and had every intention of walking back. 
and I get to this parking garage, and the last parking garage doesn't take Discover 2, and I remember thinking to myself, fuck this, I'm going home, and I'm never working with these motherfuckers again. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. I never tried to go back. I never responded. I, I think... I, I actually, to be completely honest, one of the times that they were in Chicago, I got an email about potentially doing a dark, and I was like, I'm not interested. Like, I felt like I had been taken advantage of, and that was the epitome in my mind of, like, money grab. Yeah. And it's funny because guys, like, it's the, the guys that stand up for these types of camps are typically the guys that run them themselves. Like Danny Cage, Danny Cage will always stick up for fucking camps because he runs the Monster Factory Super Camps. Or, you know, if you're doing anything like that, they're like, oh, you know, you can never take, you can never learn too much, blah, blah, blah. Do you think doctors don't go to, you know, weekend seminars and accountants don't do this and realtors don't do that, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, but here's the thing. When they go to those things, it's typically because they're learning something new. Yes. These... Ring of Honor camps, I was at two, and they were all the fucking same shit. It's not, they're, they are not showing me anything that I don't already know. I literally was paying to be seen, and paying to say, hey, I did your fucking camp, now give me a fucking opportunity, and you guys never did. And while you weren't giving me that opportunity, you were clearly showing that it's a favorites game, and spitting in my face. So... Like, no. It's, well, it's such a – okay, so you you came to one of Harley's camps, and, you know, I, I love the man. I You know, he obviously passed away a few years ago. I have so much respect for Harley, but I remember – I don't think it was the year you were there. It might have been the next year or the year following. We had – and I, I don't want to give away too many details because I'm not trying to bury this individual, but we had someone who had – name value through family heritage show up at one of our camps mm-hmm. and the Japanese announced they were going to take them to the dojo. They had never been in the ring before. They'd never trained. And so it was like, I remember looking at Harley and I said, Harley, you need to, to like, you need to take, you need to talk to them. Cause you have that power to take one of these camp guys, not them. Cause that sets a terrible, precedence for what this camp is about. And he's like, well, they're going to take who they want. And I'm like, I understand that, but I think you have more clout and authority here than you're leading on. Cause the Japanese always typically took like a really big guy, like guys, six, eight. Ooh, we like the big guy. Jake Durden. Yeah. And, and he was a good, he's a good talent, but right. Exactly. And then, or someone who has heritage. And I'm just like, to me, the way to sell these camps is to take some unknown guy like yourself or like another guy, Steve Anthony, that was at one of our camps who, who was good, but like no one really knew who they were. And it's like, wow, that guy was kind of this like, you know, uh, hidden gym out exactly. wherever they are. Like, that's and give them the, an opportunity. Sell them. That's how you sell them. Yes. Hey, this Ring of Honor camp in Philly, pay $300, spend two days at the dojo, and then the next weekend when you guys have shows, post pictures of two of the guys that were at that camp getting a fucking dark. Right. Like, how is that not the way to sell these things? To actually show that it can lead to an opportunity. And people will say, oh, well, they can lead to an opportunity. That's how Leo Rush got signed. Leo Rush was going to get signed no matter what. 
Like, you can't even say things like that because he's a freak of nature. Like, I was at the, the Ring of Honor camp that I did in Philly, that was where Leo Rush was found. And I remember looking at him, like, seeing the shit that he was doing in the ring. And then they were like, how old are you, son? And he's like, 21. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Oh, my God. I wish I had this kind of potential when I was 21 years old. Holy shit. And, and that's and that's like you said, if you take a, an unknown, it's like wow, this guy showed up at the camp, and because a he was prepared and talented and all this other stuff, they gave him an opportunity because that's to me what it should be about. Because people are coming are going to these camps for opportunity, whether it's to be signed, get a look, get a, like you said a dark match, whatever it might be. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know, it just bothered me when I would see like you said nepotism or, or things like that, where it's like. Because you know, basically it was announced like this person really impressed us. And I'm thinking like they didn't do anything they, besides bump. They couldn't have impressed you. You're impressed with the name. Like in that really soured me on it. And I think it's it's one of those things when you see it once or twice in wrestling, you're like, okay. Like, like I was saying before, it's a shit sandwich. You got to learn to like the taste of. Mm-hmm. And then like you see it again and again. And then you're like, mm. and it's almost like you'll hear people like, oh, don't worry. Your opportunity's coming. But like, is it? Or are you just saying that because that's like the standard line? Is it? Yeah. Is it? <laughs> I think I, I just think of uh, in Friends yes. when someone would say something to Ross and he'd be like, "Am I?" Yes, like like, like <laughs> it was the it was the lesbian, right? Like his wife. It's coming. Is it? Yeah. Is it? Is Am it? I? <laughs> exactly. So no, I don't think so. So, and that was part. Of, that was part of like. That had been building up for a long time. Sure. And then, um, eventually I stopped even trying to go anyplace other than WWE because in my mind, it was funny, uh, it was 2017, it was actually, it was the program between AJ Styles and John Cena that, like, Cena delivered a line where he had looked at AJ and he said that, you know, AJ had said that he didn't respect him and John's like why don't you respect me because I didn't spend 16 years of my life toiling away on the independence mm. new splash dude I wasn't made for the independence I was made for WWE and when he said that I was like fuck like that's almost how I felt I'm like oh well you need to I kept on trying to do all these other things because I thought that they would be my way to get to WWE I wanted to go to Ring of Honor because I eventually wanted to go to WWE. Yeah, it's a good stepping stone for sure. I eventually wanted to go to WWE. When in reality, it's like, why don't you just focus on going to WWE? Right. And so that was when I started, like, I somehow or another ended up getting people's emails. I started blasting people with emails. I would email Regal, and I would email Canyon, and I would just, just constantly fire off stuff to make sure that they know who I was. And I'm just like... At this point, my only job is to wrestle every weekend to make sure that I stay in ring shape and badger these motherfuckers with emails every single week. And that's what I did. And that's what eventually, that that was how that ball started rolling to get me my actual tryout. Um, because I had actually made a friend out of Regal before I even met him. Um, because I just... 
I had been booked for extra work a couple of times, and I noticed, like, the way that their handles work with their emails. So, like, at the time, John Cohn was handling extra talent, and mm-hmm. his email was john.cohn at, at www.core.com. Yeah. In my mind, I'm like, okay, well, if that's his email, I'm willing to bet that Regal's email is william.regal at www.core.com. And so I typed out this long email telling him who I was, what I had done, what I had been trying to do. I sent him pictures just as like a shot in the dark. And I'll be damned if this guy did not send me back a fucking novel telling me everything he liked about me and what he saw, everything he thought that I needed to do, how he thought I should do it, so on and so forth. I then took that leverage and emailed it back to John Cohn and said, hey, like, this guy said he's going to be back on TV, back at TVs, because at the time they were good. They were, the original plan apparently in 2017 was to take Regal out of NXT and actually have him working with the main roster again. Obviously that ended up not happening, but um, that was the plan, and I relayed that plan to Cohn, and, and I got booked for like six extra dates in a row. Oh, wow. And so I'm like, okay. So I'm at TVs for like a month straight and they're looking at me and I'm like, all right, awesome. This is going to, this is going to work. And, and then I was booked for a TV. I had a match before SmackDown and I remember vividly, (laughs) I, uh, the raw that I was at, the, 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 the string of dates that I was doing was right after I got back from a fucking cruise. So I'm like, 230 pounds at this point between my actual muscle tissue that I have and all the extra weight that I'm carrying from eating like a gluttonous piece of shit <laughs> on a five days. Um, and uh, so I get there, and this was during the, the era of 205 Live. So sure. they needed an opponent for Noam Dar. So they're having... They're having all the extras, like, pair up and do uh, matches, obviously, in front of the agents and in front of some of the boys. And I remember it was funny. Uh, this big kid, he was obviously under 205 pounds, but he was tall. Very tall, kind of tall and skinny. Mm-hmm. Long hair. And I remember him telling me that this was his first time being an extra. So he's just in awe of the entire experience. Yeah, I'm probably nervous, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So he has his, his, his tryout match, and uh, Dean Malenko walks over to him. I'm standing within earshot, and I hear him go, Hey, we're going to need to use you tonight in segment, whatever it was. Um, you're going to be working with Noam Dar. You know, put him over, make him look good. Um, we'll come and get you when we're ready to talk to you. And Dean walks away, and... Uh, this kid's all giddy, like he's he's like holding his hands and kind of like bobbing up and down. And I'm like, this this son of a bitch, he's so fucking happy right now. Yeah. So there's a couple other matches. They're fucking terrible. Then me and my opponent get in there. Um, I don't remember what his shoot name is. His name's James Alexander. I swear, at this point, he's their favorite fucking extra talent. He's like a shorter guy, has short cropped hair, a goatee. He's ripped to fucking shit. Um, he's been on TV. I, I, I couldn't even tell you how many times now at this point as a job guy for both WWE and AEW. I, I swear he's like the modern day fucking uh, 
Brooklyn Brawler or um, shit, what's his name? Barry uh, Horowitz. Barry Horowitz, yeah. Yeah. So, and I told him, like, that's not a bad thing, you know? No. So we get in there, and I make this guy look like a million bucks. Because I know this spot is not going to go to me because I'm way too fucking heavy. Um, so I'm like, fuck this. My goal in this match is to get this guy over. So I get in there, and we have this amazing match. It, it sucks. Like, it literally was one of my favorite matches, and nobody fucking saw it. Right. Um, That's always how it goes. We get out of the ring, except the agents and the boys, yeah. Right. So we get out of the ring. I'll never forget. I felt so bad, but it's funny when I think about it now. Dean walking over to the kid that he had just told how to fucking match on TV with Noam Dar. Change your plans, kid. We don't need you. <laughs> yeah. away. His kid's face just drops. You can tell he's holding back tears. And then Dean walks over to us, and he looks at me, and he goes, you look a little bit too heavy for us to use you tonight, kid, so we're going to use your opponent. <laughs> I looked at James, I was like, Jimmy, you owe me half that fucking TV pay that you fucking get after tonight, buddy. <laughs> but I went to catering afterwards, and um, R-Truth and Scott Armstrong both came over to me, and they're like, dude, like you were the guy, because I had a shirt on then, in catering, obviously. They're like, you were the guy that had like the really thick chest of hair, right? <laughs> I, was like, yeah. I was like, yeah. And... Scott's like, dude, like, drop some weight. Like, I'm begging you to drop some weight because the agents were creaming themselves over you. Like, you work like a fucking heel. You know how to move. You know how to sell. You did a great job with getting this over. He's like, how much do you weigh? I was like, well, Scotty, I just got back from a cruise on, like, 230 pounds. He's like, bro. He's like, get down to, like, 200 pounds, and I promise they will fucking sign you. And I was like, okay. So, you know, I... I I'm sure you remember seeing me go through like this metamorphosis on social media where I just dropped a shit ton of weight. Sure. And that was when I made the decision to actually start bodybuilding because I saw how I looked when I got fucking lean. I'm like, oh shit, I should do a fucking bodybuilding show. Mm-hmm. Now I love bodybuilding. But, um, so I lose all this weight and then I'm doing a Heroes and Legends show. And who's at the Heroes and Legends show? It's Terry Taylor. And Terry Taylor watches my match and he finds me in the back and he gives me his email and he's like, Hey, um, can you send me something that's like within the last six months as far as your work goes? Um, and, uh, just give me like timestamps of when the match starts and when it ends so I don't got to try to dig through entrances and let me see it. So I was like, yeah, sure. So I get back, I send him a match, and he emails me back. He's like, I he's like, you, I he's like, I love that you work a WWE style and not an independent style. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because someone had said something like that to me before. They were like, they're like, you work like you're in WWE and not like you're on the independents. And I'm like, because I don't want to fucking be on the independents. Like, I want to go to WWE, so I wouldn't I pattern the way that I work around the guys that they have on their TV every week. Exactly. I don't mean to do all their fucking moves, but their psychology and their way of telling stories, like, that is what, the way I'm going to work, because that's where I want to go. So I send him this video. Terry Taylor fucking loves it. He's like, okay, great, I'll see what I can do. And then within a week was when I had my fucking invitation for the Performance Center. And then I go to the Performance Center... In December of 2019, and I remember vividly, my daughter would have was was born in January of 2018. So 
she was would have been within a month of turning two. And I knew I was done when I'm at the performance center and I knew that in my mind the only thing I should have been thinking was this is it. Like, this is my shot. This is my chance to impress. Like, I'm going to do this and yada yada and blah, blah, blah. The only thing that I could think of when I was down there was how bad I wanted to get home and see my daughter. Yeah. And I was like, I can't handle being away from her for three days. How am I going to do 300 days? And I'm not missing anything right now. This is December 4th, 5th, and 6th. Like, what's, what's going to happen if I miss a Christmas? Or if I miss a Halloween? Or, or a if I miss her or, yeah, a birthday, a prom, like anything like yeah. that. What if there's an emergency and I'm not there? And then, obviously, 2020 happens, and I'm home. Like, the shows are shut down. And I'm home, you know, all summer. I'm working from home. I'm not wrestling. So, I mean, I would leave and go to the gym, but, like, that would be it. And then I remember when wrestling kind of started opening back up and I had my first match and I left. After I had been gone for like four hours, my wife calls me on FaceTime and my daughter is bawling her eyes out because she didn't know where I was. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that was, I was like, that's it. I, I can't do this. And Regal would reach out to me periodically and ask me how I was doing. And when I got his next email after that, I was like, honestly, sir, I don't think this is for me anymore. Like, if if all of this would have happened two years ago, I would have been all over this, like, stink on shit. Right. But for whatever reason, I mean, life has weird ways of working out. But for whatever reason, it happened now. And now I don't want it to happen. I, I can't be away from the most important person in my life for the majority of her life. Like, I, I can't do that. And I even got to the point where I told them to stop emailing me for extra work. Like, when the, when WWE started bringing extra talent back in, you know, I got an email from Pat Buck, and Pat's like, you know, hey, you know, we're in Chicago, and we're in Milwaukee, and can you come in? And... and I emailed him back. I was like, I'm sorry, Pat. I'm not really interested. And, I mean, that was it. You know, like, he didn't email me back. And then, you know, like four months later, they're back in the area again. And I, I get the same email. I emailed him back. I was like, Pat, admit, let me go ahead and be more clear. I don't want your emails about extra talent. Because it was literally in my mind, I'm like, it's not worth it. Because you have to get the blood work. You have to take time off of work. And I, I don't know what the extra pay is now, but when I was doing extra talent, it was $200 a night. Yeah. So in my mind, okay, if I come in for a Raw or a SmackDown or whatever the hell, that's $200. What did I pay to go to the doctor and get my blood work done right. and do all that? Like, I'm in the hole at that point, and I lost vacation time. I'd rather take that vacation time and go on a fucking cruise. Right. And so I'm just like, wow, I can't believe how much I've changed in two years. Like two years ago, I would have killed to be getting those emails as often as I got to the point where I was getting them. 
And now I'm just like, no, like I don't want to take off work. I don't want to use my vacation time to go sit and eat catering and get paid $200 and hope that I'm going to be used on TV, even though that wasn't even towards the end of it. When I was going to the last few TVs that I did, it was funny because the other extras thought that I was so blasé because I didn't give a shit. Right. Like they're calling everybody, sir, sir, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I'm like, What's up, Mark? To Mark Carano? Like, I don't give a fuck. Like, what are they going to do? Are they going to tell me to leave because I called him by his name? Right. Like, I don't give a shit. I refuse to let this become a goddamn episode of Seinfeld where people are literally, I'll, I'll never forget, back before I, before I grew a set of balls to have a TV tapings, me, one of my best friends was doing a TV taping with me, a couple of other guys, we're at a pay-per-view, I think it was in Cleveland. And they had the talent viewing area set up, but they didn't have the chairs out yet. So, like, we saw where, like, the TVs were going to be by Gorilla, but the chairs weren't set up for everybody to sit down and actually watch the show yet. And so, obviously, like, we're not going to grab them and start setting them up, you know, because we don't want to piss anybody off. So we're just kind of standing against the back wall. And um, what's his name? The party guy. Oh, uh Adam Rose. Adam Rose, yeah. Adam Rose is just sitting on one chair by himself, you know, in front of where the TV's at. And he kind of turns and he looks back and he sees us all standing against the wall and he's like, you guys can come grab chairs and sit down. And I'm like, okay, like we, we've got someone's verbal permission, so I feel like that would take heat off of us if we're sitting down, right? Right. Because we just say he told us to sit down. So... We all go get chairs. And it's like high school, isn't it? Yes. We set the chairs up like a good three to five feet behind where Adam is sitting, right? So we set it up behind him, and he kind of turns and he looks at us, and he's like, you guys can fucking come and sit next to me. I'm not going to bite your fucking heads off. Yeah. And we're, we just kind of start laughing, and we scoot up, and he's just like, you know, because he got hired through one of those. It was back when you could pay to try out for WWE. Sure. He paid like two grand or whatever to go to one of the tryouts at FCW. Mm-hmm. And oh, I mean, he's a friend of mine. I I was there when when he was little oh, younger, and he, awesome guy, great yeah. guy. So he was telling us how he did like the paid tryout, and he got signed out of that. He's like, so he's like, I never did extra talent work with WWE, so I don't know what it's like. So we're trying to tell him how much of a fucking headache it is. And like, I, they came and like got him for like a promo or something like that. So he got up and he walked away and I'm sitting there and I looked at my buddy and I'm like, you know, with him not sitting here, I feel really vulnerable. Sure. Like I don't, I, 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 I'm not, I'm not comfortable in this situation anymore. All so, it takes is one, one person to walk up like, Oh, look at the extras. Exactly. making themselves at home. You know, so, we, we leave the chairs there, but we get up and we go and we stand back against the wall. And not two minutes later, Adam comes walking back up the fucking hallway. And he sees us and he throws his fucking hands. He's like, what the fuck are you guys doing? <laughs> Alice is like, no, dude, you don't understand. <laughs> like, you left us here high and dry. All it would take is one person walking by and being like, what are these motherfuckers doing sitting here getting their own chairs out and shit and making themselves at home? Well, and, and to be fair, like if people listening have never been an extra, you have to understand, 
you are literally walking on eggshell eggshells for 12 hours. I mean, it's all day, all night. And the last thing you don't want to do is leave a bad impression. Right. And all it takes is like one instance. I mean, I remember straight up one of my friends, uh, we were all in there and we're, we're filling out our paperwork, as you know, and the Bella twins walk in to talk to Mark Carano and he glances over at him for like half a second and they walk out and Mark Carano goes, you know, you're supposed to be filling out your paperwork, not checking out the Bella twins ass. And he just looks like, I mean, I, I wasn't, but what do you say? You know, like, yeah. Do you sit there and argue with the guy? Like he was like, no, they walked in. I mean, it's like, it's no different than someone walks by you. You look at them, you know? Yep. And it was just like, I'm glad I'm not standing where that guy is, you know? Cause it's just, it's always the, he, the, he was actually one of the uncomfortable moments that I had for TV. Like I was standing ringside. I was all by myself and, and, um, Actually, the same. It was the same shit that happened on two. Like the same shit happened at two different fucking times, and it was in Detroit. And it was it was the pay per view where um, it was like the tri- it was the triple threat with Brock, uh, Reigns, and Ambrose. Okay. And so it would have been twenty sixteen. It was like whoever wins goes on to main. He had to face Hunter, okay. and so Reigns obviously going over or whatever. So. Uh, Brock, Reigns, Ambrose, and Jamie Noble are all standing ringside. They're going over the match, and I'm leaning against the barricade. Like I'm, I'm, I am where I am supposed to be because that's what you're told. They're like, "Hey, go sit ringside," or yeah, be available, be in the area, be available, be available, exactly. So I'm sitting ringside, leaning against the barricade, and I have not moved from this spot for like 20 minutes. So. They get out there, and they start on one side of the ring, and they're talking, and they start walking. They're, t- they're walking and talking. They're walking and talking. They're walking and talking. And at one point, they had gotten pretty close to me. Not within, like, I would say earshot range, but they're, they're, they're pretty close. And I remember at one point, I happened to look up, and Reigns is looking right at me. Mm-hmm. And Reigns looks at me, and he looks at Noble, and he kind of, like, nods his, heads to- nods his head toward me. And, Ray, and Jamie comes over and he's like, who are you? And I'm like, I'm one of the extra talent guys. And he's like, well, would you mind giving us some fucking room while we go over stuff here? <laughs> yeah. What? Mother, are, are you serious? And like that, like I was sweating it. Yeah. Like, and, I, and I fucking went up to Jason Ayers, one of my dear friends, and I was like, dude, and I started to tell him the story, and he knew exactly where it was going. He's like, I got mad at you for not fucking off. I was like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, it's fucking dumb, but what can you do? Mm-hmm. Like, He's like, don't worry about it. They've already forgotten about it. Yeah. So I'm like, all right. I walk back down to ringside, and I'm just sitting there again. No one's there. No one's calling matches or nothing. So I'm back to the spot that I've been sitting in. And at the time, I knew the name Mark Carano. But I couldn't have told you who Mark was. Sure. By his Didn't know his face. Exactly. So as as I'm sitting there, I look down and I see this guy in this fucking blue suit get like just like staring at me with like this weird fucking smirk on his face. And I'm like, who the fuck this guy is, but he's kind of creeping me out. And I'm trying to like no sell it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then he calls one of the refs over to him and he gets in his ear and he whispers, uh, 
something in his ear. And, uh, no, 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 no. Okay, I got ahead of myself. Excuse me. He's sitting there staring at me. One of the referees came around the corner and walked in front of me. And it was Spider. And I hadn't seen him yet. So he sees me. He's like, oh, hey, dude, been a while. How you doing? Shakes my hand. Gives me the little bro hug. Stand there and talk to me for like 30 seconds. Starts to walk away. Mark stops him and, like, says something to him. And Spider's, like, like kind of gives him a look. And he, like, nods at him. And Spider walks towards me. And he comes over to me, and he grabs my hand, and he goes, I'm sorry, I have to take that handshake back. Apparently, you've got some heat with Mark. Oh, jeez. And I was like, what? And I look up, and the guy, and Mark just fucking smiles and walks away. Mm. And I was like, that was Mark Carano? And he's like, yeah, what'd you do? I don't fucking know. (laughs) And so later on that night, Terry gets there, uh, Rhino. And I had worked with him a couple times in South Bend, like local to my house. So he's like sitting there talking to me, and I was like, Mark came in and said hi to him, and then walks away. And I looked at Rhino, and I'm like, tell him what happened. And Rhino got up and went and found Mark and made Mark come back and shake my hand and actually introduce himself and ask how I was doing and stuff. Oh, wow. And I was like, I fucking love you, dude. But from that point forward, it's like, okay, so I know who this guy is now. But at that time, like, imagine if that had been someone with a weaker will than me. Sure. What? How the fuck would they have been? And I'm sure I didn't do anything. I'm sure I had no fucking heat. He was just trying to fuck with me. But why? Because I think in that situation, and this comes from, so I know exactly the Mark Carano you're talking about. When I was in NXT... He walks up to us, first time I'd met him, and I'm, I'm like literally like on guard, right? Because he's already been a prick to us five or six times. Mm-hmm. Nicest guy in the world. And I'm like, oh, the only person you can be a prick to are the extras because that's the only people you have power. And that was my – when you're telling that story, that's the only thing I could think of because mm-hmm. he doesn't have enough power to be a prick over anybody else. Mm-hmm. But to you, you're trying to get a job. Mm-hmm. So he can say – Fuck that guy. Even though you don't even know who he is, so you couldn't have possibly angered him. Like, what could you have done? <laughs> and and I and I think that's the impression I've gotten over the years talking to different people in different spots. And it's just like, oh yeah, it's always like there's someone that does something wrong. And I got in trouble with him back in 2010 because I show up and I, there was no one else there that I knew as an extra. And so I. You know, hardly got me booked, and it was in Oklahoma City, close to where I live. I show up. I go there. The door's closed. I knock on the door. And, again, that's also intimidating, right? Like, because you're like, oh, God, I don't want to piss someone off, you know? But Yeah, like, who's behind this fucking door? Right yeah, now? and he answers it, like, real abruptly. Hey, we're having a meeting in here. Come back later. And I'm like, okay. I took that as leave me the F alone and come back later. So I went and, and, you know, what I would always do, and I'm sure it's the same for you, I would go look out in the arena, the ring's not set up. Okay, I'll go get a bite to eat. Get a bite Mm -hmm. to eat, met the other extras, talked to them. Hey, have you guys done your paperwork yet? No, he told us to come back later. That's what he told me, fair enough. So um, we all end up, we eat, take our time, go again, look at the ring, it's not set up. 
We go back to do our paperwork again. Now, this is probably two hours later, right? Mm-hmm. And the door's closed. No one wants to knock on the door. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, this is – like you, like I said, it's high school. It's everything rolled it's into one. It's a episode of Seinfeld. Dude, it really is. It's like waiting for the Chinese restaurant, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. like, what do we do here? And so I, I finally knocked on the door again, and he answers it. And he's like, I told you guys to come back later. I'm thinking, like, motherfucker, it is later. <laughs> like, right? <laughs> hey, no, no. You, you, I, I'm in the middle of something. Come back. And like, you know, you have to learn respect in this business. He starts rattling off stuff. It's like, okay. And again, I'm two or three years in the business at this point. He did not. He did not say that to you. I swear to you, he did. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm looking at the other guys who who I've only known for like a couple of hours now. And they're thinking like, oh, my God. And I'm like, like, oh, which I wonder who gets to knock on the door next time. (laughs) So we all go and we put our (laughs) – we we do what – we would do, we put our boots on and, you know, our knee pads and things like that. And the ring's about set up and, you know, I went to go use the restroom, grab the bottle of water, whatever. Mm-hmm. I go to the ring and, and keep in mind, I'd been an extra a few times and I had done my paperwork literally while the show was taking place. This was not uncommon. Oh, yeah. So I'm there at the ring. They pick me to have a match with Vladimir Kozlov as a dark match that night. Cause they're going to mm-hmm. try to transition him to babyface. Okay. Sure. Mike Rotundo's the agent. He asked if I knew who Oleg was, and I was like, I've met him before, but I don't really know him. Mm-hmm. He's like, all right, well, when he comes out here, we'll, we'll put a little something together. And he's kind of basically giving you the 411, four or five minutes, try to make him look good. And, you know, he's like, we're going to try to make you a heel. So I don't know if that, that may be a promo. I don't know. And I'm like, hey, whatever you need me to do. I, I, like, I, can, I can cut a promo if I need to. I can whatever and I, yeah. I basically i'm game for whatever you want me to do he's like can you punch sure. i was like yes i can punch he's like okay we may have you even cheat or something i'm like sure whatever I and mean, none of that happened but anyway so i get called by one of the referees to come here i'm like okay and so i go back i follow him to carano's office and he was like what the fuck are you doing i'm like what do you mean he goes you haven't done your paperwork yet and i'm like i stopped by here twice and i mean i'm not saying this but i'm thinking like yeah. Is this a rib? Like, seriously, like, I, I stopped by here twice to do it, and you told me to come yeah. back each time. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you can't get in that ring until you uh, until you do that paperwork. And I'm like, no problem. I'll do it. And so really, really a, a jackass to me. So I nope. I mean, I'm thinking, again, like I was telling you, I'm like, dude, last time I was here, I did this, like, before we went home. He caught us in the leaving with our luggage. Hey, did you guys do the paperwork real quick? Cause he kept ushering us away. Yep. And I'm like, it's like two sheets of paperwork. It's, at this time, it wasn't that much. It didn't take long. It's more like yep. a W like a W 10 or whatever. And a few you yep. know, basic information. And so I, I do it. I hand it to him. That's all I hear. And then later on, you know, um, Rotundo comes up with me and he goes, Hey, the match may not be happening now. I'm like, Oh, okay. No problem. I don't know that these are connected incidents yet. And then, yeah. <laughs> like, kind of like that you were talking about that one guy, things change on a dime down there. And yeah. so, um, Rotundo finds me again. Hey, come down to the ring. We, we are going to do that. I'm like, okay, fine. And so I go down to the ring and I talk. We, we get a match together. And it's nothing. I mean, it's like a three minute, more or less a squash match. I mean, it wasn't yeah. anything, but I was happy to do whatever they wanted. Oh, fuck yeah. Plus yeah, we, that money. Yeah, we do the I match. That, that, that match money's good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We do the match. It's it's great. What I mean, it, it's what they wanted, I guess. And so all is good. I find out later 
through people that I know that they were trying to pull me out of the match because I pissed off Mark Carano, where I guess he was. But in their words, none of the other extras were good enough to be put in the match because none of them could work. <laughs> and so I'm like, seriously? Like, and, I, and I'm thinking, like, did I just destroy my chances of making it in this company? Like, did I legitimately... And that's what you start asking yourself. Like, yeah. does he have that control? Over Blood. something that's simply a misunderstanding at best, not even that big of an issue. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, like, if I had not signed my paperwork, that's one thing. I stopped by twice to do it. All uh-huh. he had to do is, <clears throat> hey, guys, I'm having a meeting, distribute these sheets, and just leave them outside my door. Sure. You know, like, yeah. well, that's pin what whatever you need to do, use each other's time? backs to write. I mean, whatever. When was the last time you did extra work? Uh, 2012. 2012, okay. So you didn't do any after um, John Cohn took over. John, no, I didn't. John is a goddamn sweetheart. Oh, John, well, see, he great. he came from Harley School, so I know I know John. Bingo. And so that's why he was one of the boys. So Mark was never one of the boys. Mark was the fucking nerd in high school that got picked on, and now he's in a position of power. Exactly. So John, like, you know, if, if he wasn't ready for us, like you said, hey, guys, here's all your paperwork. Put it on this TV stand right outside the office when you guys are done. Mm-hmm. Or, like, and, and, and that was it. You know what I mean? It's not, I, it's not, I had to me, it's not hard Mark. to not be a prick. Exactly. I had to deal with Mark once. And when I did, this was after that incident, obviously. But for whatever reason, John wasn't handling the paperwork this day. Mark was. But this was after I had grown my fucking balls. Mm-hmm. So I walked right into that fucking office and I was just like, Hey, Mark, how you doing? And he looked kind of taken aback at first. Sure. But I, but he's like, Hey, good to see you. How you been? And I'm just like, if you show that you cannot be intimidated by him, he won't try. It's that bully mentality, right? If you show weakness to a bully, they're going to exploit uh-huh. it. If you just walk yep. in like, "Hey, you doing, sir?" shake his uh-huh. hand and 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 you know, uh-huh. a manly handshake, not yep. be scared of it, not be phased. Yep. And if he starts to try to 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 man up on you, be like, "We didn't do anything wrong," and you call him out on it. Yeah, he's going to back down, of course. Yep. And then fast forward 10, 15 minutes later, Johnny Divine who's a fucking former Impact Wrestling guy, Mm -hmm. comes in to do extra talent work. And he did something, like he filled out one of the sheets wrong or did something. I don't even remember what it was, something with his blood work. But um, Carano's just like, what, fuck, man, you can't even do that, right? Like, this isn't rocket science. And fucking Johnny's just... Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And he walks out of the room, and Carano looks at me and like holds his hand up, like, "Can you believe this guy?" And I'm just like, "Do you know who that fucking dude is? Like, he could legitimately break you in half right now." Right. Like, but he, but he knows he won't because he was trying to get a job. Uh-huh. It's, yeah, it's, <laughs> dude. It's this is so fun to to kind of talk about all this stuff because I feel like it's it's sharing war stories, right? I mean, it's. Yes. It's it's two guys who have been there and, and done all that stuff. It's it's so much fun. I don't want to keep you here all day. I do want to bring up one more thing just because it's one of my favorite things to see on Instagram because uh, I'm a uh-huh. big fan too. I love your chalk line collection, brother. It's so cool. I am ashamed <laughs> by how much money I have spent on chalk line apparel. I am ashamed and my wife is pissed. Oh, but, yeah. But um, funny story, so... 
one of the reasons why I'm such a big supporter of them because obviously, I mean, their 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 stuff is fantastic. Well, and it's like, so it's so unique. Like I, I was just looking at their website, like, and I saw these Sonic the Hedgehog shorts, and I'm like, my god, that's amazing. Like it's it's so and it's so ridiculous, but it's great. Where else are you gonna find stuff like that? Right, and it's like they have all these cool licensing agreements, exclusivity. Because you know, you get people that are looking and they're like, man, it's so much money, and I'm like, find it someplace else. Right. Good luck trying to find something this cool someplace else. I just brought that fucking, I got that Bret Hart hockey jersey, the Hart Foundation jersey. Right. And I'm like, this thing's fucking awesome. I remember seeing Bret wear this on fucking TV in 97 when they're doing the fucking Canada-US war. And I'm like, this is so cool that I have this now. And I've got all these track suits. And it's like, it's like right now, as I'm rolling on this bike, I got on a pair of Ninja Turtle shorts and a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle jersey. Yeah. Like, it's fucking cool. So that was why I was buying their stuff at first. And then, admittedly, I'm like, okay, i got to kind of slow down. Like, sure. I've got jackets, i got this, i got that. And then they shoot me a message one day randomly on Instagram. And they're like, hey, man, you are always showing us so much love. We want to send you a care package. And I'm like, really? Like, that's cool. They're like, yeah, go to the website and pick out some stuff that you don't have. And I'm like, all right. So I go to the site, and I find a bunch of stuff that I didn't have. In my mind, thinking that they're going to send me, like, one or two things. They sent me the entire fucking list of things that I listed out in that message. Wow. Easily over $500 worth of stuff. And I opened up this box, and I saw all this in there. And I looked at my wife. I'm like, I can't stop buying from them now. Yeah. Like, they literally just, like... They, they knew you supported, and so they supported you. Exactly. I'm like, they have earned my business for the rest of their, like, for the rest of my life, I'll be buying their stuff. Like, because they didn't have to do that. Like, they make money. Like, they are not in a position where they have to show love to anybody. Right. Because people are going to buy their shit no matter what. Well, and like, like, I was just showing my nephew some of their stuff, like like the Rob Van Dam shorts and all that cool stuff, and he was like, oh, do, yeah. they have, do they have kid sizes? I was like, I don't think so. He's like... I really want these. <laughs> it's like, I did notice on some of the stuff that they have youth sizes. Yeah. Um, not all of it, but some of them. But you say that Van Damme thing, and I want to get that cheetah print one. Yeah, then, it's so cool, it, man. It's the one that's patterned after the one that he wore for his first WWE pay-per-view. Right. Uh, at Invasion. And I'm like, I remember, like, that was the first Rob Van Dam match that I had ever seen, him and Jeff Hardy in a hardcore match. And I was like, holy shit, I like this dude. Right. And that was the ice that he wore. And I'm like, fuck, I want those shorts and pants. So, dude, it, it's so it's so cool. Like, I kind of got into it. Like, I, I can't remember where I, I saw a pair of like Bam Bam Bigelow shorts, and I'm like, mm -hmm. that is awesome. And then, of course, I see the Bret Hart ones and all these other ones. I'm like, man, these are these are like they're so like over the top. But I think that's like the the fun of them. And then, like shortly thereafter, I see like, oh, they've got licensing agreements with Ninja Turtles and Nickelodeon, and I, I mean, I'm trying to think of like like movies like. Killer cop clowns from outer space. They, and all these when like they, when they signed their deal with Power Rangers, I was like, "Fuck yes!" Dude, right? GI Joe, Masters of the Universe. I mean, Sonic. I mean, so many cool ones. Like, and I feel like it's like I have alerts set on my phone for when they drop information on yeah. Instagram because it's always something super cool. And it, yeah, like I, like you said, the tank tops, the jackets, the the shorts. They have pants now. I mean, it's just it's a really fun website to just kind of dive into because there's so much cool stuff on there just just really really fun yep i love them and uh, it's got 
happened to the point where, like, people at my gym, like, that's what they know me by. Like, my loud outfits and stuff like that. Sure. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so much. Chalk line, and I've started to, gr- I've started to get in love with, um, homage.com yeah. too. I'm wearing a King of the Ring homage shirt right now. Yeah. Yeah. I got a, uh, I've bought three shirts from them in the last month or so, I think. I got the, a WrestleMania 12 shirt with Sean on the front of it, and it says, like, the boyhood dream has come true. It's mm-hmm. him. They're holding the belt. And I got a Royal Rumble 94 shirt that's got Brett and Lex on the front of it. Right. And a SummerSlam 92 shirt with Brett and Davey on the front of it. Yeah, dude. That, and, again, with them, they have the Nickelodeon license. They have Ninja Turtles. Uh, I, yep. I, just, I just got in the mail, actually, like two days ago. It's like a Boy Meets World NBA Jam shirt. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Dude, so much fun. Like, oh. I want to get that Mr. Feeney shirt that they have on that website. Yes. It's got all of his quotes on it, and I'm like, oh, my God, I, I need this in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it's, it's, so, it's so tough. Like, when you see all this stuff, you're just like, I want to buy it all. You know? Like, yep. It's, yep. It, but it's what makes it fun, man. And then, of course, when it comes in the mail, it's exciting. Have no room in your closets for anything. And right. I'm just like, rather me do coke, would you rather me be a cokehead? Because that's the difference. I could be a cokehead or I can buy wrestling shirts. Take your pick. See, a friend of mine brought that up one time, and he was like, it's so true. It was like a meme. It said, turn your kid into a nerd. That way they never get on drugs. Because it showed a kid with, like, action figures and comic books and all that stuff. And I'm like, that's true, though. Like, like it, it, what- It's like, you you won't be able to afford to do both. There's no <laughs> way you can afford to be a nerd or do and do drugs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because the price of shit nowadays, it's like, okay, one or the other. <laughs> exactly. Every time, too. Well, dude, like like I said, this has been so much fun to catch up. We'll have to do it again before four years, hopefully. But uh, throw some throw some social media out there. Let people know where they can find you. All right, guys. So I'm not on Twitter anymore, and that's one of the greatest things I've ever been able to say. Because as soon as I knew in my mind that wrestling wasn't a full-time gig for me anymore, I deleted my Twitter. I was like, I don't need this anymore. So um, Facebook, I'm just Nick Cutler. And I promise you, you'll know which Nick Cutler it is when you type in my name because I'm half naked. Um, Instagram is Absolute Answer. Merchandise is ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash Cutler Coalition. And for all of you supplement junkies out there that use the gym supplement science line, if you use code Nick at your checkout, you can get 15% off of your cart. And free shipping on orders over $98. Awesome, man. Well, dude, I, I really appreciate you uh, sitting down with me today and knocking out this podcast. I felt like we told some great stories. Hopefully people enjoyed it and kind of got to live vicariously through this crazy life that we both experienced. And like I said, I, I can't wait to do it again down the road, man. Me neither, buddy. Whenever you're ready to talk, you can always let me know. I appreciate it, brother. All right. Take it easy, man. All right, we are back here to close up episode 79. Like I said, it was a long episode, but I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, I know Nick seemed to have a good time. I love talking with him, and we we touched on so much. It was a really, really fun conversation, and I'm sure Nick will be on again down the road. I forgot to mention this in the intro. Shout out to CM Burnham, I guess, from last week, another guy I never podcasted with, but I've known for years. So it was cool having him on the show. Um, but you know, the thing is when I started doing this podcast, I had a thought of, well, it's gotta be wrestlers, right? Because only wrestlers really understand that, like sacrifice. That's not really, it's really not true, right? 
managers, referees, ring announcers, they all understand that sacrifice as well because we all sacrifice for this industry. But I thought, you know what? I can have other people on the show. It's my show. As long as someone has something to talk about. And uh, my guest this coming week, um, or next week, I guess, will be a really interesting guest. Chris Landis is his name, and he just wrote a new book called Quest for the Dragon Star, an oral history of WMAC Masters. Do you remember WMAC Masters? Um, it aired kind of as like a Saturday morning show in 1995 and 1996. It's on YouTube. Check it out. This is almost like a precursor to martial arts in the mainstream. They took real legitimate, you know, very decorated martial artists. You gave them characters. And you made this show. It's almost like it was a cross between... And he talks about it. It's almost like a cross between the WWE at the time, the WWF, um, Mortal Kombat, you know, Power Rangers, all kind of rolled into one. And it was such a fascinating show. They had a, a brief action figure line as well. We dive into that a little bit and so much more. So with Chris writing this new book, I was like, well, I got to have you on the show. I haven't had a chance to order the book yet, but I definitely I definitely have it on my agenda. Um, but I, I recommend all you guys do as well, and uh, you'll get to hear Chris talk all about it next week. It's going to be a really fun show, so get ready for that. Like I said, big shout-out to Nick Cutler this week, CM Burnham last week, and all the great guests I have on the show. In fact, Steve Hoker, a good friend of the show, just reached out to me. He's like, hey, man, if you're still looking for a guest, I got a guy. And I'm like, sure, man. And I think that's what's fun about this show is getting recommendations of different people, maybe that I don't know. I'm like, hey, would you like to have him on the show? Absolutely, I would. I think that that's fun. So I'm going to throw that out there to you guys again. If you have someone that you feel like might be a good guest for my show, hit me up. Let me know. And uh, I'm not saying I will do it for sure, but I mean, if, if I connect with a guy and like we're, we're cool, like why not? And I got some fun ones in the pipeline, so I think everyone will enjoy that. So Chris Landis will be coming up next week talking all about the oral history of WMAC Masters, the quest for the Dragon Star. Of course, I want to shout out some of my podcasting buddies like the Fully Posable Wrestling Figure Podcast and Scott's side project, Drunk Wrestling History, Doing the Favor with Eric and Barry, the Positively Pro Wrestling Podcast with Steve and Eric, the Ringside Rant with RJ, the Leisure and Lariats Podcast with Ruthless Ryan Davidson, In the Marbles with Soda and Ethan. I talk about those guys, obviously, in their awesome new show. Um, Boot to the Face, Tales from the Estate, Oh, man, there's so many. Uh, Trivia with Buds with Ryan Buds. Wreck My Podcast with Jordan Zeilinger and his crew. Howlin' with the Wolf with the one and only Jason Wolf and his awesome Chop Shop. In fact, I'm sure uh, you'll be seeing some really cool Chop Shop stuff very, very soon. Um, Always fun there. Uh, Night of the Nerdy Laser Podcast. And I think that's all. I think that's all I got. So if I missed you, I apologize. I'm kind of going off memory here. But uh, thank you guys for checking out You Know It's Fake, right? And remember, as the great Johnny Valentine once said... I cannot make you believe that pro wrestling is real, but I sure as hell can make you believe that I am. I'm Brian Breaker. If this is You Know It's Fake, right? We'll see you guys next week. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Mr. Wonderful. I've been around for a minute, and I can stand toe-to-toe with the best of the minute. Don't give a damn about critics They talk a lot, but at the end of the night I'm selling the tickets All the tough guys avoid me The ladies all adore me Paparazzi record me I can put on a clinic All my opposers are born